0: We are going to continue to look at the weapons of our warfare, uh, at least according to the framework that Paul gives us in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, really, today is going to be a little bit special. Today you get a two-for-one, and we like those, right? You're going to get a a, a two-for-one, and you'll understand what I mean when we look at this. Today we're going to be looking at the sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth. Now, obviously, when you, when you think about the, the, the belt of truth, the belt, going back to the historical context, had one primary uh, reason. You know, some people like to talk about the fact that you could gird up your loins and tuck it in your belt, and uh, others uh, like to uh, talk about the fact that your breastplates, some of the breastplates, depending on how a soldier was attired, some of the breastplates would actually uh, be uh, uh, held in place by the belt and so that it wouldn't move around as you're moving in war. But the ultimate, the primary function of the belt, uh, besides not having your, your, your drawers drop, is in fact uh, holding the sheath. That is its primary function. The belt had the sheath. It had the sword of the Spirit. And I want you to understand something. I don't believe it was a coincidence that Paul took these two imageries of applying the sword okay, to the Word of God and applying truth to the belt, this is not a coincidence. And the reason I say that, because they are saying they're all about the same thing. In other words, what I'm telling you is the sword is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the sword of the Spirit, because it is the Word of God. Let's just look at this briefly. Going to Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your Word, what Word? God's Word, right? Is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Going to Psalm 119, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, your Torah. And what is the Torah? The Torah is the voice, the word of the Lord. That's what it is. And it is truth. I mean, over and over again, we're seeing the word of the Lord, it is truth. One more, Psalm 119, verse 151. You are near, O Lord, in all your commandments, your mitzvot, they are truth. That's what the commandments are what? It's the word of the Lord. That's what God's commandments are. So when we're talking about the belt of truth and we're talking about the sword of the Spirit, we are talking, in effect, about the same thing. So what we're going to do today, to make it simple, is we're primarily going to focus on the imagery of the sword. Very, very powerful imagery. Now, when you you think about warfare and you think about the function of the use of sword in, 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 in battle, the use of sword in war, there are a couple of things that I want you to consider. And the first thing I want to mention is, is that the sword was a weapon that was used in hand-to-hand combat. This is not about catapults. This is not about arrows flying. This is not long-range war. The sword is utilized in hand-to-hand combat, close quarters, where I can see the whites of my enemy's eyes, and I get so close to my enemy, I can smell his breath. And it is in that environment, it is in that environment where you pull the sword from its sheath. And that's where you find out how powerful of a weapon it really is, how deadly it is. The second thing I want to mention is that typically when you you think about the sword, we we tend to think of it in the context of simply an offensive weapon, a proactive weapon of attack. I don't want you to think of it in that context alone because the nature of the sword is much deeper than that. Think of it also, it has the ability to defend. It gives the soldier the ability to defend his life. Let's bring this into modern day terms for a second. When uh, someone goes by, typically, you go buy a firearm, uh, whether it's 9mm, forty five, whatever. You go to buy that. Typically, you're buying a handgun for one reason. Not to be proactive, not to go on attack. You are buying it for self-defense. That's what it is. It's for self-defense. Well, the sword works in the very same way. Yeah, it can be used proactively as a weapon of attack, but it can also be used as defense. And I want to primarily focus on the defense reality. We'll look at it in an offensive measure today as well at the end of today's sermon. But I want to look at this in defense where you are getting close quarters, hand-to-hand combat, where we're seeing the whites of the enemy's eyes. And where I want to go is I want to take you to the fourth chapter of Matthew. And if you remember, this was a chapter we looked at not too long ago. Um, in Perspectives of the Law, but we're going to go back, we're going to look at this story uh, in a different light. We're going to be focusing on the, the aspect of spiritual warfare. And what is happening here in Matthew 4, it is one of the most epic battles ever recorded in Scripture. We have the titan of the faith, Yeshua the Messiah, coming to battle, Hasatan, the captain of wickedness. And within this battle, this is what is so cool, within this battle we discover his modus operandi. We see how Satan moves to attack. When he goes to attack Yeshua, we are going to learn a lot about his MO, if you will. And so, uh, not just that, but we'll also see how we're supposed to respond. I want to break into this right away. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This is what we read. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. All right, so here Yeshua, by the Spirit, he's being led out. Is literally being led out to what? To starve? No, 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 no. To fast? That's not, that's not what he's being led out to do. The Spirit is leading him out to go to war. To go to war against the adversary. Now there is a component that we do need to pay attention to. A principle of war that we are given here. And what is that principle? In preparation for war. Fasting. Yeshua is preparing for war through fasting. A very, very powerful principle for us to take into consideration. Because it is this principle that gives success. It gives success. And we'll probably talk more about that later as we... Uh, go further in this study uh, in the coming weeks. Moving on to verse 3. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Command that these stones become bread. I want you to keep in mind the context here. Satan, number one, is the one engaging Yeshua. Yeshua. He is the one engaging Yeshua. It's, he's in the mode of attack, if you will, and this is going to be the, the one, one of the, the first of three attacks that Yeshua is going to experience. But with this first attack, what does Satan do? I really want you to step back and look at this, because you're going to realize things in your own life that could be happening. Is Satan really concerned? Has he come out? To entice Yeshua to eat bread? Is that his goal? Yeshua, command these stones to become bread. Is this his goal? I'm telling you, it is not. If you see Satan's goal is that, you're missing the big picture. This is the tip-off. Look at this. If you are the Son of God, that's where you need to draw your attention. If you are the Son of God, Satan is calling Yeshua out. He's calling them out. If you are who you say you are, then by all means, let me see your power. Let me see all this power that you have. Command these stones to become bread. I know you're hungry. Exploiting Yeshua's weakness right now in the flesh. He knows he's hungry. He is enticing him. He is provoking him. You can take this to the bank. If you're a follower of Yeshua, you can expect at some point, if not quite often, in your walk, to find yourself in this exact situation, where Satan is going to come to you to provoke you. And here's the difference: instead of coming to you, instead of Satan saying, "If you are the son of God," Satan's going to step up and say to you, "If you are a child of God." If you supposedly have the spirit of God living you, if supposedly Yeshua's blood has set you free, has empowered you, well, by all means, go forth and prophesy. You see what he does? He he provokes. He provoked Yeshua. He is going to provoke you to do things you are not commanded to do. So people will go out looking at everyone else. Satan will turn your heads. Well, everybody else looks so righteous. They look so holy. I might as well do it as well. And then Satan gets them. Because then they cry out, Thus says the Lord. When in fact, thus the Lord has not spoken. A perfect example of this. Provoking. Where Satan provokes us to move when we are not called to move. We are called to be still and know that Yeshua is Lord. Another good example is tongues. You know, me growing up in the assemblies of God, well, this is, as you know, this is a common thing. There are true tongues manifestations. And there, there are others where Satan comes in to provoke, and he turns their heads and says, look at how spiritual everyone is. If you are who you say you are, if you have the power of God, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, let me see it. And then they prompt them. He hooks them. He gets them in there. Hook, line, and sinker, and they go forth, spitting out a bunch of gibberish. that Thus the Lord did not say, Satan is a provoker. He wants you to move when we are not commanded to move. It's just one more, just hit me. Another story, a perfect example of this. You you look at this and how he works against us. He is so clever, so masterful. In Matthew 16, we read about this interchange between Yeshua and his disciples, between Yeshua and Peter. And Yeshua, he's conveying to Peter, he's like, Peter. I'm going to be betrayed at the hands of men. My own brother and the chief priests, are going to betray me. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the elders. And what is Peter's response? Not so, my Lord. May it never be. It will never happen to you. Interesting. God called Yeshua to do something. His Father called him to do a specific work. And Satan comes in like a flood and says, No, no, you don't, this isn't going to happen to you. Well, why do you think Peter was saying this? He's the Son of God. Yeshua is the Son of God. And how does Yeshua respond to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. That is a clever, clever adversary. And how effective he can work in our lives, provoking us to do things, provoking us to go outside of the will of God, rather than to be still and know that he is God. How does Yeshua respond to this satanic attack? And I want you to see these things for what they are. When the enemy is coming to provoke you to do things you're not called to do, that is a satanic attack. It's demonic. We're called to be, he's trying to call us to disobedience. He's trying to call us to heed at his behest. But how does Yeshua respond? Because this is war. This is spiritual warfare. I want to know victory. How do we gain victory? Well, look at what Yeshua does. Matthew 4.4 4, And Yeshua answered and said, It is written. And he quotes the Torah. Deuteronomy 8 Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is exactly how we are to fight in spiritual warfare. This is how we come against the adversary. It is with the sword of the Spirit. I love what Yeshua does here. When he was attacked by the enemy, he pulled his sword out of his sheath and he went to battle. It is awesome. This is an awesome display of spiritual warfare. The thing about this is, and what was recorded here, Satan, he doesn't give up. Actually, as we continue on, we're going to find he comes right back at Yeshua. Yeshua. And when you really study this, this is what's so terrifying about this whole thing. You ever read articles, maybe even seen some clips on it or whatever, but AI, artificial intelligence, and we have what they call now learning computers, where a guy can play chess against a computer. But every time the guy plays the game, the computer learns his maneuvers. He learns about his adversary, and the computer adjusts. It gets smarter and smarter and smarter. I want to show you something. The adversary is the exact same way. He first came to Yeshua and attacked him. Yeshua fought him off with the word. This is terrifying. The enemy learned. He starts advancing. He starts getting more seductive, more stealth-like. You're going to see this as we continue. Look at what he does next after Yeshua brought the sword of the Spirit. In verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Now I want to stop here. I just want to stop for a second. Understand one thing. There was no question who Yeshua was. Satan knew. See, this is getting into my point of provoking you to do things. Satan knew exactly who he was. He wasn't coming up to him, kind of feeling him out. Is this the one? Is this the guy that I need to be worried about? That is going to set the captives free? That's going to heal the brokenhearted? That's not. He knew exactly who he was. He's provoking. You want proof of this? Go through the Gospels. And you're going to start to read. You come to Matthew 8 even. uh, Early on uh, at the front of the New Testament. And... The demons fall down before him and cry out, We know who you are. You are the Son of God. None of the hosts of wickedness are confused as to who Yeshua is. Very important point to understand as we're going through this, to understand this is purely provoking, taunting, getting us to move out from where God wants us to be. So he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And what does he say? You see how he learns? He learns. This is like artificial intelligence and sanity. He learns, for it is written. Yeshua came to him in Scripture. He comes back with the attack. Bring in Scripture. Absolutely brilliant. Wickedly brilliant. And then he quotes Psalms. Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you. Sounds a lot like what happens in Matthew 16. Uh, Yeah, between Peter and Yeshua. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In this war that we're in, having to fight these demonic principalities and powers, literally going toe-to-toe, hand-to-hand combat, you better believe Satan is going to use Scripture against you. This is part, who would have ever thought this is part of spiritual warfare? Having to combat with the Word of God to the Word of God. And he's going to do it because he's going to try to seduce you. Try to seduce you, try to confuse you, try to make you fall. We look at the depth of his wickedness and craftiness, the things that Satan is capable of, the the, the lengths that he is willing to go to, even to the point of using scripture, I got to tell you, it doesn't get more diabolical. It doesn't get more ruthless than that. He is holding nothing back. Satan does not operate according to our rules. He is going to do whatever it takes to take you down. Whatever it takes. And just because you defend him once, he is not given up. He's going to come back again. There's a reason, Yeshua tells us, he who endures to the end will be saved. There's an endurance, there's a perseverance of the saints that is required. We need to be on guard, amen? We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to fight Scripture with Scripture, which is exactly what we see Yeshua do next in verse 7. Yeshua said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I absolutely love it. Satan comes bringing scripture. That's fine. Yeshua pulls out the sword in its context, in its holy context, and goes to battle yet once again. He goes out to war. He will not be moved. He's not going to be provoked. Yeshua knows he's the Son of God, and he knows that if he was to jump off, he wouldn't even need the angels to come deliver him. He could levitate. This is the guy who was walking on water. This is the guy that raises the dead. Yeshua's not confused at his power. It's awesome. But he will not be provoked to move, no matter, despite having that power, at the behest of the enemy. The enemy is seducing him to get to do what he wants him to do. Obey my command. This is is what he seeks. The question is, we look at this and we look at how Yeshua responds Are we trained to do this? This is spiritual warfare. Are we trained to do what Yeshua is doing? This battle shows us that we need to be equipped not just with a sword. Meaning you walk around with your Bibles in your hand, you need to know how to handle it. You've heard me talk about it before. A person that is holding a mighty sword that doesn't know how to handle it, he's going to cut himself to ribbons. Cut himself to shreds. He's not going to hurt anybody, but himself. Amen. You know, you think about it. I just in my mind, I, th- I think about moving this into the, the the modern day illustration, if you will. Uh, and this is the picture I got this morning. So forgive me, but whatever. I and mean, I'm thinking about the sword and and how Yeshua uses it. And he was an expert. He pulled it out flawlessly. There was no hesitation. He was a skilled swordsman. Now I'll try to bring this into, into the realm to today. An intruder breaks into your house. You have your firearm, your sword. An intruder breaks into your house. If you don't know how to handle the gun, you don't know how to load it, and you're sitting there fumbling with it, while well, the intruder is not going to stop, he is not going to slow down, what do you think's going to happen? Well, wait a second. Wait a second, intruder. I'm trying to Figure this out right now. I really don't know how to use this. If you could get some coffee and wait until I figure this out, and then we can proceed, you can try to come kill me and my family. I mean, it's, it's a silly illustration. I'm telling you something, though. It has a point. If you think you're going to do that, if you think you're going to learn as you go, and that, that's not a good way to learn. To be scrambling around to try to become an expert swordsman as he is coming at you full blast with Scripture. That is a dangerous environment to be in. I love what Zechariah 4, 6, I didn't put it up here, but it says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. I want you to think about that statement. What is the Spirit of God? I know for, I know it, it's the Word of God. Not by might nor by power, but by my Word. You want to know how powerful this is? Just start to study it, start to read the story, start to see the spiritual warfare. All the power is right here to give us against the adversary. Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want to say that again discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And again, we know Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot plumb the depths of how deceitful your own heart is. You know, we always try always make the joke, well, isn't that great? Because we all have one. And it's completely deceitful. How do we manage it? There's only one way. It is the Word of God. And it will tell you, our emotions are so strong, people. We feel things so strongly in our heart. We feel things so strongly in our mind. We convince ourselves, and we have demonic spirits uh, spirits convincing us. You think about what we're dealing with. I'm telling you, go to the Word, because it will divide. It is a razor that can divide a piece of paper into three sections. I mean, it is that powerful. And it will tell you whether the things you are feeling are of God or whether I'm being baited. Am I being provoked? Am I being seduced? We need the word. We need the sword. We need to pull this sword out of its sheath and start training with it. Now, as we continue in our story, Satan's going to come back one last time. And his approach is going to be a little bit different Isn't that a surprise? He learns every time. He comes at a different angle. And this is what he says. Again, the devil took Yeshua up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to Yeshua, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Understand something. There's one special prize above all for Hasatan. One special prize. He wants to be worshipped. And see, worship is depicted by obedience. That's a fact. You just read the word. Worship is depicted by obedience. And so when he comes out provoking you, tantalizing you, attempting to seduce you, pulling you away, what is he pulling you away from? He's pulling you away from the word of God. He's pulling you away, and when you, in fact, obey him, you worship him. It's interesting. I want to highlight this for you. You notice what he says here. All these things I will give to you. In this attack, this spiritual warfare, Satan comes and offers Yeshua everything. We're told in Luke 4 that Satan has been given all the kingdoms of the earth. Read it. We know he has been given all the kingdoms of the earth. And now here's Satan because of what's been given to him. This is his world. This is his kingdom. We're not of this world. Well, now he comes out and says, Yeshua, everything you see, everything that's here is mine. I will give it to you. Fall down and worship me. What does Satan want? He wants the throne of God. Something that belongs to the God of Israel alone. This is what he wants. And I'm going to tell you something. You better believe in, your, in spiritual warfare as you go through your life. He is going to come to you and he is going to offer you the desires of your heart. The things you fantasize about in your mind. The fame, the fortune, the power, the lust, the immorality. The carnival of debauchery that you're sowing in your mind. I hope you're not. Understand something. He is willing to give it to you. Because he wants you to worship him. This is spiritual warfare. It happens up here. It is constantly going. Am I the only one with a mind that never stops running? I am constantly saturating my mind and my heart in the word of God. I leave this for a little bit. Oh, it's a mess. It turns into a complete mess. You saturate, you clothe yourself in this garment of righteousness. Wisdom and understanding of the living God. I want to warn you, do not sell your soul to the devil. Neither for a piece of bread or for a bowl of stew like Esau. He sold his birthright for a measly bowl of stew to satisfy the desires of his heart. See, he did not survive what Yeshua survived. Yeshua did not cater to this hunger. He did not cater to his flesh. Esau was willing to give everything for it. And Satan was willing to oblige. Took it from him. Took it from him. And his brother, who desired righteousness, received it. He desired what was good. 1 Peter 5.8, something Henry quoted in his commentary. I don't think it's an accident. Uh, Spirit's obviously moving today. Be sober. Be vigilant. Vigilant what? Watch. You better be sober. You better be watching because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. And I've said this before. What do lions do? They hunt. Lions are roaming to and fro, hunting who they may devour. The enemy is hunting us. Peter tells us this. The majority of the book tells us this. We are being hunted. That makes me not want to put my sword in its sheath. Keep it out at your side at all times, ready to go. And no matter what the enemy promises to give you, one thing I can rest assured, he's not looking out for your well-being. He's not looking out for your best interest. We as believers in Yeshua, men, women, we're, we're at war. We need to put the whole armor of God on. We need to remove the sword and we need to go to war. Cling to the commandments of the living God. I want to get back to our story in Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. Yeshua says to him, "Away with you Satan." So this is how he responds to this. It is written, "You shall worship the Lord your God in him only." you shall serve. That's Deuteronomy 6. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. You know, this exchange between Yeshua and Satan, uh, as I mentioned before, this is one of the best examples you ever find in regard to spiritual warfare. What it is, what it looks like, how to deal with the adversary. It shows us, I mean, this story shows us how to have success in war. It shows us the importance of knowing Scripture, knowing the Word of God, knowing Torah which every time Satan came to Yeshua, how did Yeshua fight him? He fought him with the law of God, the Torah, quoting Deuteronomy over and over and over again. I want you to consider something. When we understand, I mean truly understand just how powerful the Scriptures are, how powerful the sword, the Word of the Lord is, I ask the question, What might the enemy want to do? What might he want to do? The answer is simple. He's going to attempt to get you to drop your weapon. Lower your weapon. Drop it at your feet. You ever see cops go in and they see a a intruder uh, or a SWAT team or whatever. They come in and they say, drop your weapon. Drop your weapon. Why do they want them to drop their weapon? Because I'm going to get shot in the face. I don't want to get killed. So the call goes out, drop your weapon. You better understand, Satan is going to do that. And why? He wants total power over you. He wants the ability to afflict you. He wants the ability to oppress you, to influence you, to control you. This is what he seeks. All without having to worry about getting hurt. One of the founding fathers of this nation... Nor Webster, It's where we get the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, This was a man who lived through the Revolutionary War, a time when freedom and liberty uh, was consuming the thoughts of men. Something that should be consuming the thoughts of believers is freedom and liberty. This is what should consume us. Well, this man makes an interesting statement regarding war. I I think it's profound. And keep in mind, uh, this is the man who knew the cost of freedom and liberty. He knew what it cost. And this is what he says: before a standing army can rule, the people must be disarmed. Just think about that statement for a second. Before an army can gain power, the people have to be disarmed. This is the case for the church today. It's for us, who are in fact a people. We are up against an army. We're up against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Wickedness that rule over us. But guess what? For them to come to us, for them to take possession of us, to control us, they're going to have to disarm us. They're going to have to get us to drop our weapons. Because we cannot be defeated. We cannot be defeated. If we're standing in faith in Yeshua and we are armed to the teeth, bearing the armor of God, we may fall. But we're going to get back up. A righteous man may fall seven times and he will rise up again. This is what we're told. And Satan knows this. And so he's going to try to disarm every single one of us. And make no mistake, he's already tried to do it. I hope he's not getting successful. Amen? I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3, back to the Garden of Eden. And I want to show you that from the very, very beginning of time. Satan's mode of operation, his plan, was to disarm us. And look at what it says. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to what he says here. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Are you kidding me? He literally comes, he calls into question the commandment of God. God gave a commandment to Adam and Eve and he comes in and he calls it into question. Well, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse three, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, what has he said? Now look at what she does here. There we go. I was ahead of myself. Okay. Has God indeed said, where is going on here? Okay, We're, here we are. But of the fruit of the tree, it was on point. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. My point here, the simple point is, right at the end, what happens does she, does she say in verse 3? She pulls the sword out of the sheath. Do you see what's happening here? She reveals to Satan, this is what is going on. This is the reality of the situation. God has commanded. That's what the sword is. It's commandments of the Lord. We're not to eat of it. Because if we do, we die. Well, then he goes on in verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In other words, Satan is telling Eve, that sword you have, that sword you just pulled out and showed me, I'm not scared. That sword has no power. This is what he's trying to convince Eve of. Drop that weapon. It's not going to do you any good against me. In fact, in the coming weeks here, we're going to get deeper into that concept. And it's it's, it's really a marvel at how Satan works and how effective he can be against us. Now, moving on in verse 5, this is what we read. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now here's what's amazing. He's discounting the, the authority of God. He's discounting the commandment of God. But here's the provoking. Oh, he's a provoker. He comes to provoke. He comes to entice. He comes to seduce. He knows that your eyes are going to be opened. So here's it's tantalizing to him. This is totally tantalizing. She, he wants to show her that she's missing out, that God hasn't given her everything that she should have. Selling it short. How many times, I mean, you just think about what's happening here in, in our life, which is spiritual warfare. How many times do we get enticed saying, well, that's not enough, that's not enough, and we end up getting provoked, and we end up doing specific things that are not of God. I'll give you just a simple example. A guy ended up taking... A special promotion But he has to work an extra 25 hours a week and he has to travel the whole week And now he doesn't get to spend time with his family. I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly what satan wants That's exactly what satan wants get the man out of the house. Let's separate the family. It's always an attack on the family every time And so he's tantalizing her sucking her in here and then we go on to verse 6 So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, Satan effectively turned her eyes away from the truth, from looking at life, the tree of life, to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. To start looking at the wickedness, all the things that the world covets, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Look over here. And it will look, just as it looked to Eve, it will look pleasant to your eyes. This is how we're going to see it. And a tree desirable to make one wise. So she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So the moral of the story is very simple. Be sober, as Peter says. Be vigilant. Be watching. Because Satan is hunting you. He's coming to take something from you that God has given each and every one of us. The sword of the Spirit. There's an interesting passage in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And uh, who knew that there was actually a passage uh, in the Bible about gun control? But there is. There is. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords and spears. I want to ask you something. Why were the Philistines concerned about Israel possessing weapons, swords. Why were they concerned? It's very simple. They knew if they had them, they would be empowered and they would no longer be enslaved. They knew it. They would no longer, they would lose control. Think about it, people. What gives you freedom and liberty in the spiritual realm from bondage, from the spiritual host of wickedness? It is right here. And how many of us refuse to pick it up? This is freedom. This is liberty. But Satan wants to put other things in your life that prevent you from picking this sword up and giving you life. George Mason, who, he's a contemporary, this is where we get Mason University, he was a contemporary in the Revolutionary War. And uh, this is what he says, to disarm the people, That was the best and most effectual way to enslave them. I mean, this is the MO of the adversary. This is what he is coming to do. Satan doesn't want you reading your Bible. He doesn't want you meditating on God's word. He wants you thinking about things of the world. He wants to seduce you. He wants to enslave you. He wants to enslave your children, take you all down. Look at Deuteronomy 6. We read it this morning. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. He's speaking of the Asaret HaDevarim, the Ten Commandments. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Because Satan wants our children. That's what he wants. He wants our children. We're commanded to take care of our children to train them up in the ways of the Lord. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You think about that. I'm to talk about this all day long. No breaking. The sword is constantly out of its sheath. Richard Henry Lee says this, To preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of people, think of it in the spiritual context, the church, all of us, the whole body of people always possess arms and be taught alike, especially when young, how to use them. Which goes right back to what we just covered in Deuteronomy 6. Train our children. We need to arm and equip our children with the wisdom and knowledge of God because we are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Satan is waiting to pick our kids off. Kids are a massive part of spiritual warfare. They need protection. They need to be trained. And unfortunately, this is where the modern-day church has suffered a mighty blow. Taking the Old Testament, taking Scripture, taking the Torah, the law of God, and looking at it, falling into the seduction that Satan paints, looking at it as it's no longer valid. Never mind what Yeshua said when he came in Matthew 5. 7, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Never mind the words that Yeshua spoke to Satan when he fought him in hand-to-hand combat, all coming from the Torah. Never mind that, you don't need it. You can put that down. It's antiquated. He's telling us it's not valuable. It's not powerful. He told Eve the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun with this guy. He keeps peddling the same things over and over, repackaging them differently, coming at different angles. But it's always an attack against the commandments of the Lord. Getting into closing here, I want to take you to Revelation 19. And this is what we read. I want to give you a deeper perspective of the sword. And it is so imperative you pay close attention. Now he saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he was sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. Now, if the sword of the Spirit is in fact the Word of God, and now I learn the word of God is in fact Yeshua. That makes this whole concept and the power of the sword, it takes it to a whole nother dimension, a whole nother level. In the name of Yeshua, when you speak it out loud with your mouth and you proclaim Yeshua as Lord, there is power. Immense power. Amen. Luke 10.1, I want to give you an example of this power. And this is attack mode. We've been looking at the defensive measures. I want to show you this sword going out in attack mode. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he commissions his disciples. Well, you read at the end of Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. Today, we are these disciples. And Yeshua grabs these disciples in the first century. He sends them out to do what? Proclaim His name. They're going out to proclaim His name. They stumbled upon something, and they're amazed by it. And what is that? As we drop down to verse 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Just think about that concept for a second. They went out against principalities and power, spiritual hosts of wickedness, and they had to bow and obey their command because they spoke the name of Yeshua. That is power. That is a power that you want. And it's always funny... Uh, When people get in trouble and they're in emergency situations, that's the name. That should be the name. That is the go-to. And know in your heart that when you call upon the name of Yeshua, the demons do tremble. They tremble before him, the pure and holy one. I want everyone to rise. We're going to do our battle cry Hero O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save your very lives. And we read together, Today we will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. We will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight. We will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. And we pray to our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer while the music team comes back up. Lord Yeshua, we give your name praise. It is to be extolled above all other names. And in your name there is power. There is power because you conquered sin and death. You walked a sinful life, and you paid a heavy price for our sins. Freely giving of your life, and the Father rose you from the grave on the third day. And that is the testimony that we confess. That is the gospel message, that death could not hold you down. And it is in that power of the resurrection that we stand, Lord. It is the power of that resurrection that gives us life that gives us hope, and it gives us the ability to go and fight and to conquer. Through your might, Lord, through your wisdom, through your understanding. Lord, we just pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon this community like never before. We cry out for it, Lord. We cry out for purity, for holiness, for righteousness, for hearts that burn with love, that we can be lights to the world, light to the Jewish people. A light to the Gentiles. Lord, we pray for your strength as we go, as we fight against our enemy who has risen up against us in so many different ways lately. We pray for strength to take him down through the might of your name. We just pray this in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.